Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Tidewater Midstream and Infrastructure Limited third quarter 2020 results conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star, then one on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star zero. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Chief Financial Officer Joe Vora. Joel Vora, my apologies. Thank you. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you. Good morning and, and good afternoon, everybody. On the call with me today, as usual, is Joel McLeod, Tidewater's uh, CEO. Before passing the call over to Joel to review the quarterly highlights, as usual, I'd like to remind you that some of the comments made today are forward-looking in nature. Uh, and include expectations, estimates, judgments, and projections, forward-looking statements. We may express or imply today are subject to risk and uncertainties, which can cause actual results to differ from expectations. For further information, uh, please refer to uh, our non-GAAP measures and further disclosure um, at tidewatermidstream.com and on CDAR. Uh, with that, I'll pass it over to Joel McLeod for an overview of the quarter and opening remarks. Thanks, Joel. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining our Q3 2020 conference call. We delivered a record corporate adjusted EBITDA quarter in Q3, where we exceeded our previous record adjusted EBITDA in a quarter by 14% and delivered a record 47.6 million of adjusted EBITDA in Q3. This represents an 86% increase in adjusted EBITDA year over year. We continue to see growth into 2021 and are reiterating guidance of 175 to 185 million of adjusted EBITDA for calendar year 2020. Our number one priority remains deleveraging and free cash flow generation, and we are confident in our ability to achieve our target of three to three and a half times debt to EBITDA with the closing of the Pioneer Pipeline. We are also confident we will be able to continue to grow per share distributable cash flow into 2021 as we continue to execute and grow a significant inventory of high rate of return small capital projects. We are nearing pre-COVID distributable cash flow levels, with the main drivers being our Prince George refinery, seeing cracks improve, high rate of return and optimization projects coming online, diesel demand continuing to outpace supply at Prince George, and also our Pipestone gas plant having run times that continue to improve into year-end and 2021. Our business, although not untouched, has remained resilient and is a result of the contracted nature of our assets. Over 70% of our business remains under long-term contracts, and approximately 50% of our EBITDA is derived from investment-grade counterparties. We are not aware of another infrastructure company in Canada that delivered adjusted EBITDA per share growth of over 85% year over year. The amount of government outreach slash stimulus and support we have seen in recent months is like nothing I have seen in my career and we want to thank the various provincial and federal governments for all their support. 
Tidewater is positioned extremely well to benefit from renewable energy and clean fuel stimulus. Our canola co-processing project, which was initiated over 18 months ago, continues to be a huge success and will come online in late 2021, where the BC government's support has been instrumental and we do not expect material net incremental capex from Tidewater related to the project. With the support of the BC government, we are currently also evaluating a large renewable diesel project at the Prince George refinery, which would also have a renewable hydrogen component. We are in a prime location at Prince George for potentially the first renewable diesel project in Canada, where BC is the only province with LCFS compliance costs slash credits, and we also have the highest diesel prices in North America. We have had numerous parties approach us on hydrogen and various hydrogen opportunities given we have three operating hydrogen assets in Prince George today. We also do have a material number of operating carbon capture assets that are likely to benefit from the growing hydrogen and renewable energy push that continues globally. Tidewater is in a strong strategic position with significant infrastructure to become a leader in clean fuels across Canada. We are also likely to continue to see significant government stimulus on intensive infrastructure capital deployment period over the next 12 to 24 months, and Tidewater is positioned very well to take advantage of this. This includes some of the largest capital projects in Canada and even North America in and around Prince George, including Site C Dam, Coastal Gas Link, LNG Canada, and Trans Mountain Pipeline, all of which are multi-billion dollar projects. We have seen activity ramp up materially on Coastal Gas Link, which runs just north of Prince George, with the workforce now over 3,400 workers on the right-of-way. To see the majority of North American refineries have significant contraction in margins, while our margin at Prince George has held above $45 a barrel crack, also emphasizes the strategic nature of our assets and infrastructure. We have seen numerous refineries announce reductions, shut-ins, closures, and conversions to renewable diesel, including Phillips 66, Rodeo, and Santa Maria, Marathon, Idled Martinez, and Gallup, and also working on a conversion of the Dickinson refinery, Holly Frontier converting their Cheyenne refinery to renewable diesel, Shell Convent recently enacted announced idling shutting down their, their 240,000 barrel a day refinery, Come by chance, it has been idled to, to a, from their 130,000 barrels. PBF Paulsboro on the East Coast also announced uh, some reduction in production and a few others. This is definitely positive for Prince George as diesel and gasoline production on the West Coast will be reduced significantly and Prince George remains advantaged with their Canadian crude supply. For a quick update on, on the Pioneer Pipeline, the Pioneer Pipeline continues to operate incredibly well with an oper from an operational standpoint. Tidewater and NGTL have agreed to terms and conditions to qualify Tidewater to receive interruptible storage services at Tidewater's Brazil River Complex storage facilities. With the ITS service, Tidewater will be able to attract new creditworthy storage customers at the storage facilities, creating expansion opportunities to increase storage capacities at the BRC storage facilities. The disposition of the Pioneer Pipeline continues to move forward, where Tidewater, ATCO, TC Energy, and Transelta continue to work through the regulatory process.
regulatory approval is anticipated in the first quarter of 2021 and Tidewater remains proactive in our efforts to accelerate this timeline. In regards to Prince George, during the, uh, our Prince George refinery, during the third quarter of 2020, PGR achieved over 95% utilization. We have seen significant success on the bottlenecking optimization blending operations where butane blending commenced in Q3 2020 and has exceeded our expectations. With our blending operations, we are now producing over 11,000 barrels a day of diesel and gasoline. Tidewater is encouraged by the resilience of the PGR asset in an unprecedented time with crack spritz, holding steady at approximately $50 a barrel. This demonstrates the refinery's long-term value in servicing the markets where in which it operates. And, and of note, a $5 barrel per moving crack spread would provide over $15 million of incremental free cash flow over a 12-month period. Demand for diesel continues to exceed our production as a result of the large infrastructure projects that I previously mentioned. The first Offtake contract here with Husky ended on November 1st, 2020, with Husky meeting its offtake obligations to Tidewater. The corporation has received confirmation from Husky that the force majeure notice under the offtake agreement that was initiated by Husky in April has been withdrawn. Tidewater looks forward to continuing to work with Husky as regional demand remains strong. We feel the merger between Synovus and Husky will only strengthen the combined entity's balance sheet and we look forward to continuing to grow our partnership with the combined team and want to thank the Husky team for all their efforts as they have been an absolute pleasure to work with. On to Pipestone, uh, Tidewater, we processed an average of 72 million cubic feet a day in the third quarter of 2020. Facility availability for the quarter averaged 78%. Due to a constraint in early July, this was offset by record throughput in September of 86 million cubic feet a day and over 90% availability. The Pipestone gas plant is fully contracted with over 80% committed on take-or-pay arrangements. As for our gas storage assets, they performed well in Q3 as volatility in gas prices increased materially. Our Pipestone gas storage facility is fully contracted with take-or-pay contracts spanning up to eight years with multiple investment-grade counterparties. The facility represents a significant step forward in our fee-for-service gas storage business and offers producers at Pipestone significant optionality, where the plant has three egress solutions, including connections to TC and Alliance, in addition to gas storage. We continue to be committed to our ESG performance by investing in infrastructure to increase energy and natural resource efficiency, reduce emissions, and enhance environmental performance. We have recently updated our Tidewater website for significant incremental ESG disclosure. As mentioned earlier, we do feel Tidewater is positioned tremendously well to be a leader in clean fuels within Canada. To reiterate, after enduring what is likely the largest shock to the global economy and the oil and gas industry, we do feel the worst is behind us and we are well positioned for what is likely to be one of the largest economic stimulus and infrastructure build-out periods in our lifetime. We also feel we are positioned tremendously well to be a leader in clean fuels across Canada. Our business remains resilient as a result of the location of a contracted nature of our infrastructure assets accompanied with our strong defensive assets. 
We are confident in our ability to deliver 175 to 185 million of adjusted EBITDA in 2020, with debt to EBITDA being three to three and a half times at the closing of the Pioneer Pipeline sale. Our focus remains free cash flow generation and debt reduction, and we do feel strongly that we can continue to show material debt-adjusted distributable cash flow per share growth for years to come. Capital expenditures are currently planned to be minimal as we close out 2020, as we focus on deleveraging, but do want shareholders to be aware that we do have a significant growing inventory of projects with two to three year payouts. I do want to thank our staff, board, shareholders, credit syndicate partners, and all stakeholders for all your support. We look forward to continuing to delivering strong results into Q4 and into 2021 and remain confident in our ability to deliver debt-adjusted per share free cash flow growth into the future. I'll pass it back to Mr. Bora, and he can walk you through some of the details around the financial components of our Q3. Thanks, Joel. I'll walk through some of the uh, high-level quarter-over-quarter and year-over-year changes, and then we can uh, open it up for questions. Uh, Revenue increased uh, significantly quarter-over-quarter primarily related to a recovery in commodity prices and refined products. Revenue uh, in Q3 was $273 million, representing a 53% increase uh, from the second quarter of 2020 and a 70% increase from the same period uh, in 2019. Uh, the year-over-year change would be primarily related to the addition of the Prince George refinery and the Pipestone gas plant. Gross operating margins after adjusting for uh, realized hedging gains was approximately 17%, which is consistent uh, with prior quarters, uh, excluding Q2, where we had deferred certain operating and and maintenance costs as a result of COVID, which had slightly increased uh, uh, margins in Q2. Uh, Downstream margins uh, increased slightly from 15%, closer to 20%. Midstream margins remain relatively consistent around 15% for the quarter. Uh, adjusted EBITDA for the third quarter was $47.6 million, as, as Joel mentioned, with EBITDA margin approximately 17%, which again would be consistent with prior quarters, excluding uh, uh, Q2. EBITDA increase quarter over quarter was approximately $42 million, up to 47.6, mainly related to a recovery in, in demand at the Prince George Refinery. Uh, something we watch very closely, payout ratio and, and distributable cash flow. Uh, distributable cash flow was approximately $10.6 million for the quarter compared to uh, $12 million in the, in the prior year and, and approximately the same uh, distributable cash flow in Q2. Um, the main reasons, main drivers for, for the decrease year over year would be a deferral of, of some operating costs and maintenance capital in Q2 as we, we dealt with covid that were incurred in, in Q3 uh, and also about $2 million of one-time costs related for a, uh, related to a provision for, for doubtful AR accounts and, and a one-time payment on some new leased equipment. So we do expect that distributable cash flow number to start to step up into the end of the year and, and into 2021 and, and definitely something that we monitor closely, if, if not uh, the, the most closely. And and watching its uh, impact on, on net debt as well. Um, definitely looking at, at ways and focused on increasing that uh, uh, distributable cash flow number, uh, obviously uh, carrying costs related to our leverage are projected to come down with the closing of the Pioneer Pipeline, which will save on, on our interest costs and, and start to bring that 
uh, down after we've completed our, our capital projects, obviously uh, increased run times at the plants now that we've, we've uh, moved out of some of the impacts we saw in Q2 related to COVID will, will also uh, help that number, but also uh, watching those, those developments closely. Uh, net debt quarter over quarter uh, moved down approximately $8 million. Uh, we expect that conti to continue to move down into 2021. And, and uh, again, I think, as everyone's aware, upon closing uh, of the Pioneer Pipeline disposition, decrease in carrying costs, leverage costs, and, and even some other uh, higher cost um, uh, uh, debt instruments in, in our capital structure, focusing on those to bring those, those costs down. Uh, so with that, I think those are the main um, uh, drivers for the quarter and happy to open it up uh, for questions. Certainly. At this time, I would like to remind everybody, in order to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Patrick Kenny from National Bank. Your line is open. Yeah, hey guys. Um, just on the tie-in of additional volumes at BRC, I was curious if you're also starting to have discussions with customers looking for um, incremental capacity at Pipestone, or are we still a ways away from seeing, you know, discussions around a Phase Two expansion? Um, no matter what Eco trades at, just given, you know, maybe there's some underutilized uh, facilities in the area. Hi, Pat. Great question, Joel here. So Brazil, I would say those volumes are more tied to gas price, uh, given a little drier gas, and, and most of it will be Manville-related production with a little bit of Rock Creek and a little bit of Cardium, but great to see activity, and you'll see from public data kind of who's drilling around us, one of our existing large customer and then, then a new customer. So uh, great job by our commercial team to get those volumes locked up, and, and you will see a bump in in process volumes here into the next six and 12 months, which is great to see as for Pipestone. I still feel that's more of a, a WTI um, oil type driven place. Definitely gas prices have helped, um, but to your point, uh, you'll, you can see the press releases of the operators in the areas. There's, there's definitely activity there, but it's not uh, like it was, so we would say there's interest, there's discussion, but it's not significant. And today, probability of an expansion would be sub 50%, but we all know that can change. And I think if WTI got back to 45 to 50, uh, then then there likely would be um, probably we'd go above 50% probability. But for now, for us, focusing Pipestone on on getting operational operations run times up to 95% and improve what we can do. The plant's running well, but we can always do better and, and want to be uh, the best performing facility up there. And we have a, a little bit of work to do to get there. Right. And and I know your your priority for next year is, is debt reduction. So um, maybe that timing lines up for you. Um, and then at PGR, you know, you mentioned large renewable diesel opportunities so maybe you could just provide bookends on capex and timing uh, again given the, the debt reduction priority and also with respect to you know renewable diesel capacity would this production just simply replace your existing diesel production um, and if so you know how should we be thinking about the potential EBITDA accretion 
on top of the obvious uh, ESG accretion. Yeah, Pat, it's, it's early days, but to see how supportive the BC government has been has been absolutely phenomenal. We need a little more time. Um, are we committed? Are we FID? No, but we're definitely very interested, especially when the federal government is also uh, kind of reaching in and or asking how, how they can be supportive. So definitely more work to be done. Everyone knows our balance sheet, where we sit. Uh, we won't be stepping into a massive capital uh, project that's not contracted and, and wouldn't have a fairly high rate of return. But when we have government support, it, it's getting quite interesting, especially with Prince George having the highest diesel price in, in North America and also being the only province with LCFS compliance costs. So if, if you could put a spot on a map where it would make sense to have a renewable diesel project, BC would X would mark the spot. So a little more work to do size-wise. Again, we don't want to scare the market, our shareholders. Today it's in that $150 million range of capital and, and we have some work to do and I have lots of inbounds from various parties that would be happy to help fund that if, if Tidewater didn't want to commit a, a material check to the project. But we are excited about the project, and I think we'll update the market here over the next uh, month or so. Okay, that's great. And then just lastly from you guys on the uh, liquidity front, obviously waiting for Pioneer to close, but maybe you can just comment on uh, the repayment or refinancing plans for both the second lien loan as well as the high-yield notes. Um, I know you guys still have some time, but just curious if there's a chance to take advantage of any uh, opportunities in the market. Yeah, good question, Pat. It's definitely on the forefront. We've got those maturities coming up in 2022, so we're likely looking sometime in 21 to address those. Um, you know, a, a, a few catalysts, obviously, um, that are, are coming up. We've had the refinery now for, for 12 months. I think we can point uh, you know, and, and communicate to the market that we, we saw one of uh, what we're hoping is is the worst shocks to commodity prices and demand, and we can show how that asset uh, performed. And then obviously on the liquidity front, bringing in the Pioneer proceeds is going to help the story. So I think being able to put a couple quarters behind us, Q4, um, look, looking good as well is going to help, uh, obviously, our ability to get the best cost of capital. Uh, and we have seen not a ton, but we have seen, you know, as, as you would know, some uh, deals in the market. So it's definitely on the forefront. We're evaluating where our highest costs of capital are and definitely addressing those uh, first. But yeah, to, to answer your question, that's something we'll be we'll be looking at in 2021 to consolidate, refinance those pieces. Credit Syndicate has been uh, very, very supportive um, to, to date. So, uh, yeah, to answer your question, that's on the forefront, something that we're looking at uh, very closely and, and is likely coming up here in the next 6 to 12 months. Okay, that's great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. You are next. Your next question comes from the line of Rob Hope from Scotiabank. Your line is open. Martin, uh, afternoon, everyone. I uh, want to follow up on, on some conversations that you had in your prepared remarks. Just taking a look at the gain in adjusted EBITDA through the year, we haven't seen uh, the distrib distributable cash uh, tick up uh, year to date. So can you just give us a sense of kind of what headwinds you've been seeing so far year to date on DCF and 
And I guess specifically, you know, how much of a magnitude do you think uh, that has held back uh, cash flow this year and kind of the implications for 2021? Yeah, it's a good question, Rob. Obviously, we're not at the run rate uh, on distributable cash flow that we would want. I think some of that is related to one-time items. Some of that is pushing uh, a few pieces from Q2 uh, that that showed up into Q3. We had a couple one-time uh, pieces I mentioned the uh, a, a provision for for some AR that was in the million dollar range that would be coming off that number. There was another uh, one time payment on some leased equipment related to optimizing uh, one of our facilities that would come off that number that we don't expect again. Uh, there are uh, some leases expiring in Q4 that will bring that lease cash lease number down into Q4. So I would say there's probably between three and four million of, of uh, uh, in that number. Obviously, we're 10.5 or so for the quarter. When you look at a three or four million dollar move, it's it's you know 30 or 40 percent move to that number. So although it it feels like relatively small dollars when you look at a run rate, I think we can see a uh, vision to increasing that number, getting the payout ratio closer down to 20% where we we would have communicated prior to COVID. Um, so there are some pieces going forward and then obviously increasing um, the cash portion of EBITDA, lowering our, I sort of talked about the capital structure and some of our carrying costs. Um, even when you take the Pioneer proceeds and you apply that to, uh, you know, the, uh, our, our cost of debt, you get into the six to seven million dollars even in interest costs a year, which will add to the bottom line cash flow. So I think there's a few pieces that that uh, came up in Q3 that we won't see going forward. There's some additional pieces in Q4 that are coming off. Our finance costs uh, are obviously going to come down when we're able to close Pioneer. So I think you start to add all those up with some EBITDA growth and you very quickly start to see a material percentage increase in that distributable cash flow number. All right, that's helpful. Uh, and, and then, just in terms of growth capex, uh, you spent uh, a little bit of capital there in Q3. You know, how are you balancing uh, the balance sheet versus high return projects? And kind of what projects do you think you'll 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 move forward on these small return projects over the next six months, or the magnitude of such? Yep, I think you'll you'll see growth capex likely move down uh, a bit into Q4 and into to 2021, we feel the market will let us know when the, they're ready for, for growth projects. It's nice to, to have a few in the works. Butane blending at Prince George was a great example where we're able to blend uh, materially more butane into the gasoline stream than we anticipated and, and do feel we're going to achieve kind of a 12-month payout there. Um, but Rob, very cognizant, our board's very cognizant of that. Uh, we want to show uh, free cash flow generation and, and get debt down. So um, it's a fine balance and, and you'll see that growth capex likely move down into 2021 barring a, a, a capital project that would have uh, another means to finance. So just want our shareholders the market to know we're very cautious and are grinding through all maintenance and, and growth capex but are building a, a pretty significant inventory of high rate of return growth projects. All right, appreciate the colors. Thank you. Your next question. 
Your next question comes from the line of Robert Cadillier from CIBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Hey, good morning, everyone. I uh, just wanted to talk to you about the uh, what you might envision uh, from coming from the uh, Sonovus Husky merger and how that influences your long-term plans for um, PGR beyond the initial offtake period. It uh, seems to me that you've been working pretty hard to expand your markets. Is, is that the ultimate strategy here to uh, uh, to expand the markets beyond uh, that customer? A great question, Rob. Husky's been a great counterparty in having that investment grade offtake. Uh, I think I definitely helped us finance the entire acquisition with, with debt. Um, but to your point, we have with COVID, we felt we have to have incremental markets and the team's done a great job from product in Eastern Canada into the U.S., to, um, et cetera. So at this point, um, Synovus, uh, we get along with them well. We're excited to, to work with their team members and then the Husky team members that move over have been great. They overlifted on their first uh, contract and we continue to see big demand out at Prince George. So I would hate to say we are committed to pivot away from Husky Sonovas because that's not the case. I think I'd prefer to grow our relationship with them and work with them, but we have to make sure we can uh, move product outside of uh, the orbit should we need to do to do so. Today there's way more demand than we can handle, um, but given COVID and the uncertainty, we want to make sure we do have a backup plan. Okay, uh, thanks for that. The second question then, uh, is also my last one. I just wanted to uh, get an understanding of where you feel you are with uh, marketing volumes, um, so the depth of the uh, trough uh, post-COVID, and you know, how close are you to uh, regaining those volumes, getting back to the levels that you were at uh, pre-COVID? As far as NGLs, Robert yeah, Moore on kind of the crude content side. Yeah, I just yeah so me. on the crude. Yep. Go ahead. No, no, good question. So with Pipestone ramping up to record throughputs, I would say we're marketing more propane, butane, ethane volumes than we ever have. And the driver there would be be Pipestone. Now, Braz continues to, to have significant volumes, and then also our extraction plants continue to run. So if you said on LPG, our volumes are, are up, um, and uh, Pipestone would be the main driver, and our team continues to be active and, and do a great job on that front. To your point on the crude side, uh, yes, volumes are definitely down for, from what we've been marketing and or the related EBITDA margin is down, although realize corporately Tidewater, we've never had a big portion of our EBITDA being marketing driven, but we do like to move volumes. We like to help customers, but we typically don't take big margins, and it's definitely not a, a large portion of our corporate uh, EBITDA. Um, so what do we think would change so that we'd move more crude volumes? Uh, really dislocation, to see how tight WCS is at minus $9, minus $10 differentials, to see light suite, to uh, Condi differentials. Finally, they, they've widened out a bit, so we can be helpful with producers there, but for the past three, six months, it's been pretty tight, and sweet differentials have been as tight as I've ever seen in in my career. So dislocation is typically when where we can help, and, and should we see, and we have seen a little bit more over the last few weeks, if that continues, then I think we can move volumes. But I would hate to say you're going to see a massive change in our, our EBITDA profile as we, 
we never have had marketing drive a, a pile of EBITDA, and it's more a service we offer to, to get longer-term contracts. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Once again, in order to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from the line of Robert Kwan from RBC Capital. Your line is open. Okay, good morning. Um, there was a modest change in your DCF payout to 25 to 30%, up from 20 to 30% that you put out last quarter. Is that just some of the headwinds or one-time items that you had in Q3, or is there something else going on, um, or is there some sort of contemplation of doing something uh, in terms of a dividend increase? No, Robert, it, it yeah, it would be the, the first piece that you alluded to. Some of those one-time pieces, just tightening that guidance. We were, you know, our, our long-term uh, payout ratio has, has not changed, and it would be down closer to that 20%. Again, we, we have, and we always have the discussions, even at, at the board level and with shareholders about the dividend. Um, you know, I, I would say not to expect a, a massive dividend increase anytime soon. If there was one, it would be small. And as you know, it's not overly uh, material even to have a 10 or 20 percent uh, increase. But no, the, the the reason for that tightening of that range was was not related to a contem contemplation necessarily of an increase, just the fact that we're three quarters of the year now. Uh, we do expect, like I said, that DCF number to start to move up, but just realizing where we are today and, and where it's at for the first three quarters, just wanted to tighten that range a little bit, realizing we likely don't come in down at the 20% uh, uh, once Q4, we're, we're through Q4. Um, and then just uh, sticking with a cash flow item, um, it doesn't look like you're able or you haven't been able to get any cash out of your equity investments and on gas, I think is the biggest one. What should we be expecting on that front? Where is cash going to be trapped for the foreseeable future? Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. Um, I, I don't think cash will be trapped for the for the foreseeable future. The way we, as you know, we the gas storage would be a good example. We had project finance that asset. Some of that cash is going to um, satisfy those obligations. Uh, now, but we do have now again a year of that asset being on. We saw uh, what it can do this summer when we saw a little bit of volatility uh, in September. We didn't see maybe as much volatility as we've seen in prior years for most of the summer, but but it did perform when we did start to see that volatility. So no, I don't think uh, cash is trapped there. The other piece, the, the other smaller, the Brazos storage would be a smaller piece. Um, so I wouldn't anticipate uh, any material cash flow coming from there unless we were to expand those facilities, which, uh, you know, is something that's being considered along with the Pioneer sale and, and, and uh, those related discussions with NGTL. But when you look back up at Pipestone, um, those uh, assets are generating cash. Um, I, I think it's just evaluating uh, here you know, capital structure of those entities, but but no, I, I would expect some cash flow coming back to Tidewater from those entities, okay. from as mainly as the Pipestone. Right, and as soon as as soon as 2021. Yeah. 21. Okay. Um, uh, next, last is, next, oh, next. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, get dry, 
next quarter may be a stretch, but into 2021 for sure. Um, last question here is just on how you're thinking about the redeployment of capital into the growth projects, particularly where the share price is. So maybe coming back to your dividend comment, can you just balance you know, your deliberations on capital allocation on you know, whether it makes sense to deliver a, a dividend increase, even if it's a small one, versus putting capital in the new projects versus, say, share buybacks, given where your free cash flow yield is right now? Yep, Robert, absolutely. And our board meeting detailed discussions, capital allocation is, is critical for us. Um, Pioneer, getting that Pioneer pipeline closed is step one, so you wouldn't see us bump or do our dividend or even allocate significant growth capital, and we don't plan to allocate significant growth capital till Pioneer closes. But once we have a closing date and are going to close Pioneer, um, our my view today would be if we have two-year payout projects, two-and-a-half-year payout projects, and we're deploying 10, 20, 30 million dollars in aggregate, that's where we want that capital to go. And we, I do feel we're gonna have an inventory of that, and if not larger, to, to allocate that capital before we would bump the dividend. But we are having that discussion uh, with our board and, and welcome feedback. Do not expect a large dividend bump, but do we go to a five to 10% bump uh, year over year for the next three, five years, as we are confident you're gonna see our distributable cash flow increase here. Um, but no, today it would be growth capital likely first for kind of a tranche of 20 to $30 million, as long as they're in that two to two and a half uh, year payout range. And we are continuing to evaluate a small regular dividend bump kind of year over year. Got it, thank you. And I guess just to boil it down is, is the way you're looking at that kind of two, two and a half or, or better payback is just the cash on cash yield of doing something like that exceeds really kind of, you know, that's going to win the day um, in terms of other options. Is, is that really the driving process or is there something else strategic um, that we should be thinking about as to why you're, you're looking at the growth first? No, I'd say to your point, cash on cash. The other piece would be and CIB, uh, again, we don't expect to do anything significant, but if our share price continues to struggle and or moves down, that is a piece we, we will be evaluating. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Robert. There are no further questions at this time. I turn the call back to management for closing remarks. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for your time. Um, look forward to, to Q4 and year-end results, and please don't hesitate to reach out to us if you have any questions, concerns. That concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.